0: Welcome to Big Sky Christian Fellowship. Happy Easter. Thank you so much for joining us for worship on Resurrection Sunday. Let's spend a couple minutes and uh, turn to a place in the Bible where Jesus explains what this is all about. The last few weeks, we've been studying the seven different places in the Gospel of John where Jesus uses the phrase, I am, and then he gives himself a nickname that teaches us something about who he was and what he came to do. Can you guys think of any nicknames that you've come across that are so clever that they help you remember the essence of what somebody's all about, what they were like? One of the greatest pitchers in the history of pro baseball was born with the name Mordecai Brown. He started to play in 1903. He struck out over a 1,000 batters. But apparently nicknames were really mean and to the point back in that era, And uh, this guy actually suffered two pretty ugly farm accidents in his childhood. And so throughout his whole Hall of Fame career, everybody referred to this poor guy as Three Finger Brown. Definitely not a nickname that would fly in 2021, but it tells you all you need to know about his career, right? Really good pitcher, only three fingers. When I was a kid, I saw a commercial on TV for a boxing match that you could order. On cable, And uh, one of the fighters, his name was Hector Macho Camacho. He was born with the name Hector Camacho, and he was just so fearless and so tough that he earned the nickname Macho Camacho. And at that exact moment, I was a little bit sad because I realized I would never in my life have a nickname that cool. So, right? And here's a final example of a really great nickname turnaround. When future President Ulysses S. Grant was born, when he was a child, his father nicknamed him Useless S. Grant. (laughs) Isn't that terrible? His own dad gave him a weird name and then turned that weird name that he gave him into a really cruel nickname. Grant's kind of famous for being a late bloomer. He was into his 40s, and he still hadn't done anything significant with his life, but then the Civil War broke out, and it turned out this guy who's father had nicknamed him useless S Grant was one of the great generals in human history and the first couple of years of the civil war there were just all these skirmishes and then everybody would run back to their camps but Ulysses S Grant would just relentlessly pursue the confederate regiments that opposed him until they were crushed and suddenly newspapers started referring to him as U S Grant unconditional surrender Grant which was a great new nickname for him. All this to say, nicknames are shortcuts to telling us things we need to know about people. Like, hey, should I mess with that new kid in our class? He's only five foot seven and hundred and thirty pounds. Well his nickname is Macho Camachos. So doesn't sound like a good idea. Hey honey, should we get our son three fingers, new gloves for Christmas? Maybe we'll go with mittens this year. <laughs> so a good nickname is a shortcut that tells us things that we need to know about somebody. In John 11:25, 25, Jesus tells a grieving friend, I am the resurrection and the life. As we gather this morning to celebrate Easter, let's just take the next 12 or 15 minutes to recognize the great power and the inextinguishable hope available to those that look to Jesus for their resurrection and Their life. Let's talk about what Jesus wanted us to know when He gave that nickname. There's an outline in your bulletin if you want to follow along, or even better yet, just skim through this beautiful story in John chapter 11 when Jesus raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. I just want to talk about it in two quick parts. First, I just want to give an overview or a summary of this story for those who might not be familiar with it, and then I'd like to wrap up with uh, explaining the four ways that the characters in this story experience Jesus as resurrection and life and how that's relevant for us even today. This is a beautiful story. It's one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. Let's just kind of come up to speed with what's happening in the context of when Jesus gives this nickname. First thing I want to point out is that Jesus learns of a friend's need. His friends Mary and Martha, uh, their, their brother Lazarus, has died. Jesus learns of his friend's need Yet he waits to meet it. He doesn't rush to answer their prayers. Listen to what it says here in John 11, 5 to 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days before he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Do you guys ever grow discouraged waiting for God to respond to something that you've asked for? Do you guys ever get discouraged waiting for for God to help with something that you've asked for intervention with. Perhaps it encourages you to know that this famous story hints that God is not ignoring you, rather there's purpose and beauty in the timing of his response. And maybe you're not at a point yet where you have seen God's intervention, maybe you're not at a point where you understand the timing, but let this story encourage you with a reminder that there is always purpose and beauty in the timing of God's response. Another thing that's important to point out about this story is that Jesus willingly enters a region knowing the danger that awaits. Jesus willingly enters into a situation and a region knowing the danger that awaits. Listen to what it says here in John 11, verse 8. It says, Rabbi, the disciples said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are willing to go back. And then later in verse 53, As the story kind of concludes, we get this detail. From that day on, the Jews plotted to take Jesus' life. The growth and the new life that we celebrate because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's not just the result of a happy, fortunate accident. Jesus understood that Lazarus' resurrection would result in his own death. Jesus understood that your Resurrection and my resurrection would come at the cost of his own life. So the power of the gospel is not that God just decided one day that there would no longer be a consequence for sin. The glory of the gospel is that Jesus Christ willingly gave his life to pay that cost for us. Speaking of names, speaking of nicknames, I have two friends who named their son Ransom. That kid And that poor kid is going to get teased. But what a beautiful name to carry for a believer. Because the essence of Christianity is Easter, and the essence of Easter is that we have been ransomed from the grave. And Jesus Christ knowingly entered into Judea, going back into a region, knowing the end result, knowing that he would one day be on the cross, his life would be taken because of what he was about to put into motion when he demonstrated his power as the resurrection and the life in the lives of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and then, of course, later on, himself. Another important detail about this story is that, of course, Jesus is demonstrating that he holds power over life and death, whether it's Lazarus, whether it's later on himself. Listen to what it says a little bit later on here in John uh, 12, 17. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. This wasn't just something that a couple people talked about or made up a hundred years later. Lazarus really came forth from the grave. Lazarus was actually raised from death to life. And there were a a lot of witnesses and people throughout the region knew about it and talked about it and had their worldviews changed as a result. I'm sure that there's a lot of people in a crowd this size that just have a lot of difficulty logically wrapping their brains around this idea that there was a person who could bring others from death to life. I know that that's just hard to wrap logical brain around. I'd like to just pose a quick thought that's helped me come to terms with some of the things that this story is claiming. We know historically that they were people called Jews for 2,000 years. They uh, inhabited Israel. They spread to Rome, to Greece, to Turkey. They were all over the region at this time. And some things that were true about Jewish people is that they were fervent. They really believed what they believed, and they were unyielding. They practiced these laws, and they upheld these laws that were over 1,600 years old, unbroken. Like, you just didn't break those laws. They were so curious about what they believed that they wouldn't even say the name of God out loud. If anyone broke those laws in a dramatic way, they would actually throw stones at them and execute them. That's what Jewish people were like. And yet... Within the course of a weekend, thousands of them abandoned that religion and that worldview and those beliefs and started following Jesus Christ. doesn't really prove anything. I know that there's some people that are still going to walk away this morning thinking there's no way somebody could go from death to life, and that's okay. But historically, the most fervent and indoctrinated religion in the history of our world in the course of one weekend had thousands of conversions. I didn't just come from a sermon. Like something crazy occurred that led to that. Another detail about this story that's fascinating uh, is that John, the author, has included two really important interpretive details in it. First of all, there's a, there's a glimpse of one of life's hardest questions. One of life's hardest questions is, why does God allow bad and unjust things to happen to good people? We've all asked that question with sincerity. We get two great glimpses of the answer to that. In John 11.4, it says, When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And later on, in John 11.42, it says this, Jesus said, I knew that you will always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Uh, In other words, there's great purpose and beauty in God's timing, though there's often a gap between our initial request and our ultimate enlightenment. We call out for God to bring justice in this world. We call out for God to bring healing and comfort and deliverance in our lives. And sometimes that answer is slow in coming. And there's people here this morning that have prayed for things maybe decades ago, and the answer has still not come But what the story is telling us today is that even when there's a gap between the request and the enlightenment of why God waited and what the beauty and the purpose was in his timing, that gap or that timing always glorifies God in some way. And again, it's hard when we don't know the answer to how that beauty or how that timing resulted in glory to God, but the story is showing us that that is always the case Finally, what's the purpose of of this story being in the Bible? Why does John include it right in the center of his gospel account? It's because of the nickname. Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection and the life. And John and Jesus are demonstrating what that means for everyday people like you and I. So let's wrap up with the four ways that the characters in this story experience resurrection and life. The first one is this. Lazarus experiences a literal resurrection. He was dead, and then he was alive. And again, there's people here that are like, that couldn't happen. I can't believe that it's true. I've got a friend, Corey. He wouldn't mind if I told this story. Corey's a heroin addict. He overdosed on heroin, and he died. And the paramedics came to Corey's body, and they said, he doesn't have a pulse. And they gave him Narcan or some sort of stimulant. They put those paddles on him. And Corey went from death to life. And that's somebody that I know. And I believe this story when it says that Jesus spoke words into a tomb only for someone who had been dead several days to walk back out of it. John 11:4. 4, we already read that. It's for God's glory that he is going to intervene. And here in verses 43 to 44, when he does intervene, it tells us this. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Lazarus was dead and then he was alive. Jesus is saying that I am the resurrection and the life. And one of the things that that means is that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he will one day call you from death into a new resurrected physical body. And you will experience eternity in heaven with God. And I know there's some people here today that just aren't there yet, and that's okay. I hope you continue to seek out what the Bible is declaring. But for those of you that are believers in Jesus Christ, this body that you're in right now, like Lazarus, will lose life, and you'll get a new body, and you will be with your those who follow Christ in heaven. I've got a... A buddy from high school, and he uh, he and his wife and children beautifully adopted a, a child from China. That uh, that young boy uh, had disability. He was actually blind. He came into that family. It was a beautiful family. Uh, and a year or two later, that boy tragically got hit by a car and died. Just a terrible thing for such a Christ-filled, loving family to endure. They adopted a child because they had so much love to give, only to have... That child taken from them early. I looked my friend in the eye and I said, in Luke 24, 39 to 43, Jesus appears to the disciples in a resurrected body. He hugs them to give them comfort. They sit down at a table and they eat fish and honey together. I said, One day you will touch your son again. One day you will sit around a table and your family will be whole, all eat together. The first way that we see that Jesus brings resurrection and life is that, like, that's a tough pill to swallow. That seems too good to be true. So Jesus showed physically that he has the power to bring somebody from death to life. A Christian can live with confidence that Christ will one day call all who follows him from death to life. But there's something else beautiful that Lazarus experiences as well. You see, we all know that we experience the deterioration of sin every day that we live in this world. People lie to you. People commit crimes. People don't follow through with their promises. We're hurt. We're wounded. That is the deterioration and the impact of sin in the fallen world that we live in. John eleven thirty eight when Jesus says, Lazarus, take off your grave clothes, that's metaphorically showing that you know we deteriorate when we die. Our bodies break down. The the people in this story scold Jesus and they're like, Well, he's been dead several days. There's gonna be a stink. And Jesus says, Lazarus, take off your grave clothes. He takes off the wrappings that they buried people with in those days, and his body is perfect. Another way that we see how Jesus brings resurrection in life is that he is able to halt, he is able to reverse the deterioration of sin and death, even in this world. You might be carrying hurts or habits or addictions that you are not able to overcome on your own. Jesus Christ says, "Put off your grave clothes. And he is able to halt and reverse the deterioration that sin brings into our lives. And I hope that encourages you like it encourages me. Let's talk about Mary. Mary has experienced a resurrection of hope. This last year has been awful in ways that previous years have not been awful. And you guys all know, you can fill in your own stories of how you might have lost optimism and hope that you used to look into the world with. Mary comes across Jesus early on in this story in verse 32. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's raw honesty and Jesus and God are okay with your raw honesty, but it shows that she's lost her hope. She's saying, Jesus, it's too late. I think that you could have made a difference, but it's too late now. And a lot of us are starting to look out at the world and look out into our futures with less optimism and less hope than maybe we had in 2019. But in this story, Mary experiences a beautiful resurrection of hope. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, and he resurrects Mary's hope. Listen to what it says here in chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. This comes a couple days or a couple weeks later. It actually says six days. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived. And Jesus had raised from the dead. And a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. And Martha was serving, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with Jesus. And Mary took a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet, and he wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I guys might have heard that story before. It almost seems like Mary knows that Jesus is going to die, and so she just wants to be with him for one more moment before he dies. And there's beauty in that interpretation, but there's also great sadness to think that Mary might be under the impression that this was the last time that she was going to be with Jesus. I've got a good buddy from high school, and his mother-in-law got sick with a terminal diagnosis at a very young age. She was in her late 40s or early 50s. And so uh, they did something beautiful, knowing that she wasn't going to have much longer on this earth. They uh, cashed, they sold their house, or they took their nest egg, and uh, they flew about a dozen of their closest friends to Europe for a couple of weeks, and they all rented Mini Coopers, and they went on a three- or a four-week obstacle course across all of Europe. Doesn't that sound like fun? But of course, it, it came at a cost because the cost was they knew that this dear loved friend was not going to be with them much longer. So they were they were spending everything that they had to make the most of their time with her. That's not what Mary's doing. Mary's not celebrating the last week that she has with her Savior. She's getting rid of that funeral ointment because she knows that nobody's ever going to need it again. She knows that they... Didn't have to experience the stench of death with her brother Lazarus because Jesus moves people from death to life. And so when she takes this expensive perfume that was normally used for anointing bodies and she rubs it all over Jesus in that intimate family dinner, she's worshipfully declaring that a believer will never need funeral perfume again. Isn't that a lot different than just making the most of your last moment with somebody? Mary is declaring that Jesus is the resurrection, and of course she's experiencing a resurrection of hope. She's no longer brokenhearted. She's no longer saying, Jesus, if only you would have acted sooner. She has a fully restored hope, and I hope that there's some people here this morning who are experiencing God filling them with a renewed hope right now as well. You've probably, I'm just, I can't say this for sure, you'll probably never go through a year as difficult as you've gone through in 2020. Maybe you will, you probably won't. But Resurrection Sunday is all about our restoration of hope, just like Mary has experienced in this story. Let's wrap up with just one final example. In John 11:24, Jesus comes up to Martha and uh Jesus says to Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha answers, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. In other words, Martha is the churchgoer who has good theology. Martha is the churchgoer, so to speak, who who believes that life is hard, but eventually God will make all things good in the end. That's her faith. That's her worldview. And of course, What she experiences is that Jesus brings life in fullness even before she expects it. Remember how we started off talking about how life is hard and we can trust deep down that that, that there will be purpose in God's timing when he eventually gives us the answers as to why he waited? In other words, eventually we'll know that God is good and we'll see how that's true. That's the lesson of Mary. But the lesson of Martha is that sometimes you get the good thing even before you expect it. Because because Martha's saying, yeah, I I know that eventually you'll blow that trumpet and we'll all rise again. And of course, Lazarus, her dear brother, is alive again that very day. Martha believed that Jesus would show future care and saving attention to her brother. But Jesus' presence and timing exceeded even her expectations. I think there's probably some people here this morning that just need that reminder That Jesus brings resurrection and life not just 20 years from now. Not just when you're old and on your deathbed. But sometimes in a way that even exceeds our expectations. Martha's saying, Jesus, I know you're good in the future. And Jesus is saying, I'm here to bring resurrection and life even in the present. I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward and conclude our service with a few more beautiful songs. And as they do, let's just think about nicknames. Jesus gave himself a nickname he said, I'm the resurrection in the life, And that means several significant things for us. It means that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you will one day experience literal resurrection. It means, uh, as Mary experienced, Jesus wants to resurrect your hope in God's presence and bringing good things into your life. And as Martha experienced, this life, this fullness of life, It's not just something to put our hope for in the future. It's something that God wants to saturate your life with even now in the present. Let's think about that as we conclude with these final songs.